0: EMV will actually impact and reduce card fraud is debatable, security experts agree, as more payments fraud is now being waged against e-commerce, which the EMV chip cannot prevent. And there are other concerns about EMV being deployed as well, such as how EMV at the point of sale is going to enhance long-term security. And many U.S. banking institutions are really questioning how they should issue EMV cards. Should EMV cards just be accompanied with signature, or should they also include the additional authentication layer of a PIN? Here, Liz Garner, Vice President of the Merchant Advisory Group and a featured speaker at Information Security Media Group's Fraud Summit in Los Angeles later this month, discusses why retail groups are pushing for mass rollouts of chip and PIN for EMB credit transactions and why retailers are investing in tokenization to help address the long-term fraud concerns posed by e-commerce and card-not-present fraud. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. So, Liz, this debate over chip and PIN versus chip and signature continues to heat between merchants and card issuers. But a lot of payments and fraud experts say that the issuer's argument against the PIN is valid, since PINs can be compromised. What's your take on the stance of bankers and the argument that the PIN just adds another bit of information that can be attacked and later used against the cardholder?
1: Well, Tracy, I think you know the PIN is just like any other password that you have for unlocking your email account or unlocking your smartphone. It's something that only the cardholder knows that's unique to the cardholder. So it's not something that's floating out there in the stratosphere. So it's not something that's printed on the card, which even a CVV code is if somebody were to errantly gain control of a lost or stolen fraud. The PIN is something only the consumer knows, and it's a really important factor, multi-form factor of authentication, because it is a secret password and something that only that cardholder should have access to.
0: So what about the fact, then, Liz, that the PIN only reduces lost and stolen card fraud, not card-not-present fraud, which obviously
1: is growing? So card-not-present fraud is a huge concern, especially as we've seen trends in other countries, at least in the short term, move. We've seen a lot of fraud move into the card-not-present space with the rollout of EMV, and the brick and mortar environment. It's a travesty here in the US that issuers aren't enabling pins on all of these EMV cards because EMV is 20 year old plus technology. And when it was rolled out in Europe and other countries, there weren't commercially viable solutions to capture card pins online. And yet there are now in the e-commerce environment. We have some merchants who have enabled that capability. So if these EMV cards had pins on them, they would be able to ask for those pins in a card not present environment. And I think we'd see a reduction in fraud online if that were the case here.
0: So you don't think entering the PIN online would pose additional concerns? Or with EMV, could there be a way that consumers could have a separate PIN that they use for online transactions and then a separate PIN that they use in the card present environment?
1: I think as far as managing fraud in the online environment, you have very sophisticated dot-com retailers, especially in the instance of, say, an airline, where you have very strong risk management controls inside your own internal website. You have a lot of these online .com books who are even capturing the CVV code, which is a more static data point and a more readily available data point than a PIN is. As a cardholder, I can go online and change my PIN if I want to with my bank. The CVV is printed on the card, and people already have controls to accept those. A lot of the online card brand platforms enable the ability to accept those PIN is no different except for it's even a more secure form factor because it is changeable. And despite some folks saying it is a static data point, it can be changed unlike that CVV.
0: That's a good point, Liz, and it really kind of ties in with some of the additional layers of authentication or verification, if you will, that we've been talking about in the industry. What role does tokenization play here, and how are merchants addressing tokenization?
1: It's great to bring up tokenization. Tokenization is something we've heard more and more about, as it is the back-end technology utilized for Apple Pay through specification that was drafted out of EMVCo, which is a sort of pseudo-standards organization that's run by the major card brands internationally. Despite all the increased chatter about tokenization, I think it's important to note that tokenization is not a new technology and something that online retailers and others have been using for years now in some format. What is new is the tokenization of a PAN or a primary account number that's associated with a credit card. And some of the ideas and security features being contemplated under the EMB COSPEC aren't as secure as we'd really like to see, at least see the baseline set for the environment, the mobile commerce environment going forward. The MAG in particular is a huge proponent of participating in open standards bodies such as ISO or ANSIX9 here in the U.S., which is the accredited National Standards Institute, so that Everybody who's involved in accepting the transaction has the ability to have a vote and direct input through that vote into the creation of standards. For us, tokenization goes well beyond just protecting payment card data. It can protect other forms of means to pay, such as a closed-loop gift card, an ACH direct debit from your checking account. Beyond that, we may want a couple other data points with a payment card, so if you're issuing an international plane ticket, maybe your passport or your known traveler ID for your TSA pre-check goes with that, or if you're fulfilling an online prescription, maybe you have an extra data set that goes with your payment card information. So the fact that EMB Co. really just focuses on the payment side, in our view, is a short-sighted approach to tokenization, and we really want to see that process moved into an open standards body.
0: So Liz, as we talk about some of the new opportunities or the new ways that we can help to authenticate users as well as verify payments, whether that's online or in the physical point-of-sale environment. Are retailers embracing new opportunities for advanced authentication, such as biometrics or even out-of-band authentication, that involves texting or emailing a one-time code or token to a mobile device?
1: So Tracy, I think this is a great question, and folks are dealing with right now is how do we get the best layers of Security in place, but still make payments easy and convenient for the consumer. We talked a little bit about the card not present space, and one of the biggest challenges there is really consumers leaving that point-of-sale environment. So how do we keep the customer engaged? How do we make this a seamless process? And I think one form of authentication I'd point out that's really worthless in our view is signature. I mean, it really does nothing. It's added time and lane to sign for a transaction, and it's not a strong security feature. Things like pins or biometrics or one-time codes or one-time tokens, which are very dynamic, are all better form factors for us to trend towards in the U.S. I will note biometrics is very easy from a consumer ease of use standpoint, but there have already been some early reports about the ease with which somebody could come in and copy a fingerprint. So. Even local news stories have reported the need for maybe even considering three-factor authentication if biometrics is one of only two that you're using right now. To be fair, I think people have made the same argument with a pen if somebody could look over your shoulder or try to capture what you're entering into the pen pad. And so I think those are very sophisticated criminals doing that. But those are still much better forms of authentication, because, again, those are unique to the cardholder and to the consumer. The PIN is even more dynamic than the biometric in that, as I noted before, that's something that you can go change with your bank if for some reason you're suspicious that somebody was looking over your shoulder. So I think all of these things are really important going forward, and multi-factor authentication, regardless of what it is, is a strong security feature to at least enable on these financial products going forward.
0: Are there concerns among merchants that some of these additional layers of security will slow down the transaction and, in effect, hurt the customer experience?
1: So I think asking for a multi-factor sort of a cardholder authentication mechanism, so be it biometric or PIN, those are not the types of things that have shown to slow down time and lane. Time and lane really is a very important feature for a lot of different types of merchant environments, and particularly quick service, big box retail, grocery stores, where you're really trying to get people through the line as quickly as possible. That's a huge part of their customer experience. Um, we do have concerns about EMV technology that that has shown that it's a slower transaction that's going to add some time and lane. And so again, we you know moving to technology that's twenty years old here in the states, it may or may not be the best route for us to be going. That said, you know, it is one additional layer of security that, will help prevent against counterfeit fraud. So I think in that sense, it's a good thing. But from a time and lane perspective, I think there's definitely going to be a learning curve for both cardholders and store clerks, despite all the training that retailers are going to be doing. So that's going to pose some challenges going forward. And I mentioned signature as well. Signature really isn't worth the time to stop and sign because it's an easy thing to replicate or forge. And signature's worthless to the point where I might as well not sign at all. It doesn't have the same type of security features as any other type of password or PIN or biometric or any of the things we've been talking about.
0: So in talking about EMV transactions, Liz, what about contactless EMV payments, which could be paid via a card or even a mobile device? Are retailers embracing these types of options?
1: You know, Tracy, I think some retailers are embracing contactless. It can be a faster in-lane experience or sort of the tap and go. Where you hit a bit of a roadblock is we haven't seen widespread adoption of NFC technology in the States. And I think one of the main reasons you're seeing that stall, or at least merchants who have installed contactless terminals aren't turning it on yet, actually has to do with some of the business bulletins that have been put out. Visa put one out in the fall that said if you accept all Visa contactless credit cards, if you accept one, you've got to accept all of them. And so I think in a lot of ways to merchants, that creates some inherent anti-competitive concerns and also product acceptance concerns. You don't necessarily want to accept that contactless card inside any wallet or under every circumstance. So contactless here really with those types of rules in place by the card brands, I just don't see it taking off in the short term.
0: And then, Liz, before we close, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with our audience?
1: Well, I think when it comes to payment card security, I'd just like to point out that it is absolutely 100% in the merchant's best interest to protect their customer's data. Nobody wants the type of negative brand recognition that one gets if they are the, the victim of a data breach. Retailers do strive to protect customer data, too, from the sense of, you know, wanting their customer to feel safe shopping in their store. We've talked a lot about EMB today, and there's not one silver bullet. EMB is one step in the right direction toward a less fraud-prone environment in the states, but there's a lot more we have to do on the back end to protect transaction flow um, by further enhancing point-to-point encryption, tokenization, and other technologies that are being deployed around the world. The U.S. has lagged behind Europe, Canada, Australia, and others as far as instituting a less fraud-prone system. And we've got a real opportunity here in the States to start to play some catch-up. And it's unfortunate that the simple security provided even by just a PIN, with that simple security, we're not seeing more issuers issuing EMV cards with PINs enabled on them, especially given the online card-not-present dynamics that we talked about earlier, where there are commercial capacities out there to accept EMV PIN online now. And that can help keep fraud from migrating into that channel in the U.S. the way it has in other countries, at least other countries in the short term with EMB rollout. So with that, I would just urge other payment stakeholders to think about, you know, the impacts that it may have not to go towards pin-enabled products in the short term. The U.K. learned the hard way. They rolled out chip and signature first and then came back and added pens a couple years later when they realized it was a substandard global technology not to do it that way in the first place.
0: Again, we've just heard from Liz Garner of the Merchant Advisory Group and a speaker at ISMG's upcoming Fraud Summit in Los Angeles. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.